<laughs> I just presented a keynote uh, at the Construction Association of Michigan, their annual conference about just some of this exact stuff. So what kind of things do they ask about digital transformation one on one? A lot of people just said, like, thank you for saying that. <laughs> so what I did was I painted the picture of two firms um, that I know that that are operating in the same region um, of us of the state of Michigan. And they're two competing firms, and they both went after this large project. Um, it was about a five million dollar bid package for a mechanical firm, so it's pretty big for them. And they're they're each of them are about four hundred employees, and they they were drastically off on price to the point where the losing firm told me that they thought the winning firm was going to lose money. The winning firm tells me, and they're a customer of ours, and they've been investing in digital transformation. The winning firm tells me they're going to make a killing on it. So I, I, paint, I told the story of how these two firms, when they're working on smaller projects, the difference in their efficiencies, really hard to tell. When you scale that efficiency up to larger projects, they're now way apart. And all that's going to do is start creeping itself down into small, medium projects, smaller projects, before you know it, the firm that doesn't transform. True story, two firms, same region, competing. One has been continually improving their processes and systems the last 18 months. One has just dug their heels in, said, we're going to do what got us here. Most industries that are forced into a technology revolution or some type of major adaptation of their industry typically doesn't happen when the industry is at a peak. <laughs> so I said, you guys are blessed that you're not having to transform in a downturn. You have the luxury of using the resources you get from all these jobs you have right now to take positive ROI improvements on your internal processes and the tools you use. Now's the time. And that was kind of the talk, you know, and uh, a lot of people came up to me afterwards, like, thank you for saying it. Like, I think they'd been saying it to their, maybe their leadership. And, and so it was more of a uh, thank you for, you know, cause what I said too, is like, look guys, you have a technology person giving your keynote. If now is not the time. Today is a great day for change. Bosch Refine My Site is a cloud-based construction collaboration platform that applies lean principles to enable your entire team to plan, communicate, and execute in real time. It's the digital tool that works in tandem with your last planner system process and puts it all together in one simple collaborative ecosystem. This easy-to-use platform is available in English, German, Spanish, Portuguese, and French and can be used on desktops, tablets, and mobile devices. According to Spencer Easton, Scheduling Manager at Oakland Construction, Refine My Site, in my opinion, is the best, leanest tool on the market for the last planet. Here's what our users have to say. We've looked at three other digital scheduling platforms and none compare to the straightforward approach Refine My Site takes. From milestone planning all the way down to daily tasks, this program gives every general contractor and their trade partners meaningful collaboration, accountability, and KPIs. Register today to try Refine My Site for free for 60 days.
Welcome to the show, Bob Armbrister. Bob, it is my pleasure, my honor to have you on the show, to have somebody from the, the great middle part of the country, also known as the Midwest, Kalamazoo, Michigan. Are you in Kalamazoo right now, Bob? I am. I am actually in the zoo. I love it. He's in the <laughs> zoo, hence the warm clothing people. Yes. Where I am in California yesterday, I want to say it got up to like 75 degrees. I don't want to hear that. Sunny as always, Bob. Sunny as always. It's You know what? It's sunny like 95% of the year here. <laughs> I don't know. What, what are we doing in the Midwest, upper Midwest? I don't know. We all question it this time of year. Yeah. So thanks for having me. So Bob Armbrister, I'm the, the president of Spark Business Works. We're a, uh, a software a custom software company that that focuses on um, helping businesses become more more efficient, uh, more productive, and and ultimately more profitable. And we do quite a bit in the construction industry and um, work with a lot of great companies. And so we've uh, kind of turned into having quite a bit of experience in the in the industry. And so love sharing our stories on what's working and what we're seeing, being uh, in the job site trailers and in the boardrooms. Uh, of these companies. So it's very cool. Bob, I love to hear that you're getting out there with you and your team and you're going to where the work actually happens. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've heard of implementations with technologies, software tools, just any type of change where people don't go to where the work's happening. And I think they're really missing out. I don't know how people have gone around for such a long time and how that's like so systemic an issue but it seems so obvious to those of us that have been trained or at least read or at least scratched that curiosity itch about continuous improvement in their in the world. So, Bob, I'm really curious, like, how did you end up working in a, a tech company? As I, I was looking at uh, your backgrounds, we're getting to know each other, and it looks like you've got a, a good, strong start in education at some point. I saw that in your profile, and now you went into a to construction. I mean, I had like the opposite. I started off as a computer engineer and then spun out as an electrical engineer and went straight away to construction, but it was, my path was quite short as compared to your path. Yeah. So, uh, you know, after graduating college, you know, I did, a, I did quite a few years in, in technology and IT support, and I started some startups and that's how I learned how to build software. Um, you know, we, we raised money, we did the whole, you know, building SaaS type applications and learned uh, how not to build software for the listeners. Cause I always promise the listeners, anytime we introduce acronyms, we're going to unpack. Oh yes. Why not SaaS. have you unpack SaaS to so get yes. all you with me. Right. Software as a service went back and, and worked in, worked in a different few different industries and ultimately kept going. People kept coming to me to build stuff, uh, you know, because I found out how to build software and, and build it efficiently and get it to actually work. You know, I kind of had my own little software company um, building software for all sorts of different industries. And then one of my um, I met a, an individual who was kind of one of my mentors and, and he owned a construction management firm said, Hey, come in here. Can you, can you help us run some, help us with some IT projects? And um, as soon as I stuck my head under the hood and I realized, look at all this opportunity, <laughs> like I didn't realize uh, that some of, you know, some firms and they, they were pretty advanced at the time. Um, definitely a leader in their industry when it came to technology adoption. Um, and so we started helping some of the trades uh, that they had great partnerships with. And this was like really simple stuff, right? I, I got in there and it's like, you're using paper for timesheets. I'm like, oh, let me show you what we could do. 
give me a few weeks, right? Let me put something together for you. Um, and so as we started to get more and more um, demand from, from trade partners and stuff, the, the owner of that company looked at me and said, hey, why don't we start a company that just does this, helps, helps technology adoption and construction. And so that, that was about five years ago. And, uh, and that's what we did. Incredible. A spinoff from a construction company for technology. Isn't it crazy? Yeah. That's quite the story. And that's uh, all happened in the great state of Michigan. Yeah. So we started in Michigan. Uh, you know, we've, we actually hit the Inc. 5000 last year as one of the fastest growing private companies in America. Hey, congratulations. All, um, yeah. All through referrals. We weren't growth hacking. It was you do one thing in, for, a, for a firm and you do a good job and they're on a job site and they're showing their app to four or five other trades. Hey, look what we're doing. Um, that's how we grew. And so it's kind of cool to see. Um, and then just the different groups, especially in the Midwest. I mean, there's nothing better than helping um, firms that, uh, I don't know, I just, I just love it. So it, we call it kind of the messy middle. A lot of the firms are, are too small to be big, messy but too middle. big to be small. Yeah, they're, they're kind of stuck. You know, you're you know, you've, you've grown over the years and you've got so many employees, but you don't have all the technical resources or the, you don't have a CTO or a CIO. Um, so we call it the messy middle where you're kind of stuck. And so we're serving those kinds of groups and, uh, it's been a lot, it's been very fulfilling. Uh, that's the, one of the largest segments of so people listening on the show in the United States, uh, construction is about a $3 trillion a year industry and the vast majority of construction companies are exactly like what, what Bob described. I wouldn't call them the messy middle. I just call them the majority, but uh, there are, but we call they're stuck in the messy middle. They're stuck in the messy middle. Yeah. They're too small to be big and have all these resources that the big firms have, right. SAP, you know, all the different crazy technology resources, but they're too small to be bit, you know, or they're too big to be small. So they can't go and just use QuickBooks and all this, you know, all the stuff off the shelf. So they're kind of stuck in this. That's why they say what most firms, those sizes have dozens of software systems and they're trying to connect them and they can't. And so it's that zone that we kind of call that they're stuck in, Absolutely. but there's, there's ways out. So. Yeah. And some of the big firms too, Bob have like uh, companies that I've been involved with and worked at. I've seen as many as 100 different software applications in active use with probably a good two dozen of those, what we would consider in the software lingo legacy systems that they're just keeping alive on life support because they don't want to do a migration. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> Which is a, let's get, we're getting too nerdy now for the audience, Bob, but we can, <laughs> All right, we got to dial it. We got to dial it back. We could definitely nerd out on legacy software people. You can start to see that, uh, my near minor in computer science is starting to show now. And I say it's a, it's a near minor. I was just short one class, but I do, I do love to program for fun a little bit, but you're totally there right. You uh, there's a lot of opportunity in construction for software to help people do the mundane things that we don't want to do. Like, uh, like Bob mentioned, like even just filling out a timesheet. I mean, there are still a vast majority of companies doing it uh, by paper where, in, in the paper way, there's no error checking and it introduces a lot of problems and, and fixing those problems. It's going to take another human being to spend hours and time uh, doing something that we call a non-value added but necessary task because people need to get paid. Clients do actually, they do actually want to pay for the work that we're doing when we're building stuff. 
but uh, people want to know like how accurate, I mean, they want accuracy. Why is digital transformation so important for the construction industry as we're kind of dancing around that topic? Let's just go straight at it. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can name a half a dozen reasons. I mean, if you use the, you know, the time entry example, um, I think the client demands have, have increased. Um, you know, we have a lot of clients that the speed of data is becoming more and more important. Clients want more data on, on a regular basis. Uh, very hard to do if you're, uh, if you're still using paper and maybe doing processes weeks or months behind when the work was actually done. You know, supply chain management and, and all of the, we call it field data collection, right? So a lot of times, if you do a, a mobile app for a field team, and maybe it starts with time, but then you realize like, oh, wait, I was using this equipment. I was, I consumed these materials and I finished this part of the job. So all of that data now for some of the firms that are ahead of others, that stuff's getting captured by the hour, by the day. These businesses are now using digital transformation to run daily reports. You know, we have clients that I was meeting with a client the other day that said they don't even do, they don't even look at their monthly P&L anymore. And so what do you do? Oh, we run it by day. Wow. We run the whole business by day. The monthly P&L, that's too old. We run the business by the day. They can do that because they've, they've leveraged technology to capture all of that information on a daily basis. So I got to pause um, you right there, Bob, because that's just, uh, that's so big of a win. So for, for people listening, project managers, uh, it's very common to do profit and loss on a quarterly basis. And at some companies, you know, there's even variations to that, but a quarterly is pretty common. And then some of the more advanced companies are doing it monthly. But if you think about that, if you're, if you're on a quarterly profit check, you have four times a year where you can correct, where, you know, like, are we, are we doing well? Do we need to correct? Do we need to make a change or do we just stay the course? Now, what, what Bob just said is that's why I'm pausing because I'm getting excited over here, Bob, just thinking about <laughs> the ability to know on a daily basis how you're doing in any given code with uh, the labor and materials and equipment on the job. I mean, that is an edge. That is a big edge. And I think companies that have that type of capability now are going to have tactical advantages in the marketplace over companies that don't. And especially now with how uh, the margins are so tight and the competition is still very fierce, where even projects under $100 million, the, the spread uh, between the winning contractors and the losing contractors is a single digit percentage points and sometimes even half a percentage point. Sometimes it even comes down to you know, $10,000, $20,000 difference in price. And so if you know with accuracy what your costs are, you can win when you want to, you can decide like, do we want to take on this type of work? I mean, that is just so big for future work. And of course, Bob, for, for current work. So thank you for, for that great example. Wow. Yeah. Like, and that, I mean, and that's not a company, I mean, that company I just used, that's not 20 people. I mean, they have 12 locations, uh, close to a thousand employees. Um, but they've been on a, you know, continuous improvement. We've been building software, custom software for them to integrate with their current systems, but get the field team to have data at their fingertips, updating it um, as they work throughout the day. And so, yeah, I mean, that's not a small company. That's a big company, but not, not too big. They're Midwest and, and they've made it work and it's changed how they, you know, the data they now know makes their bids more accurate. They know what it takes to perform jobs. They know what kind of materials and 
and and where the risks are and i mean they're leveraging leveraging it like crazy that type of uh making that type of change in the company how, how deep does your company go into and you could go ahead and name your company a few times here it's uh, spark business works and uh, ladies and gentlemen bob is not a sponsor of the show he's on the show as a guest because of his commitment to continuous improvement if you want to check out our sponsors uh go back to the beginning part of the show where you can hear that we're proudly sponsored so uh, but i do want to go back spark business works bob how can people get in touch with you and we'll put uh, links in the show notes for people to get more information to learn more about these types of things what's the best way for people to connect with your company bob yeah, so our website is uh, sparkbusinessworks.com. Uh, we even have, if you go to sparkbusinessworks.com forward slash construction, you'll see a ton of resources. Uh, we have a, a just a, a ton of uh, different material, free downloads, free articles to, to help any firm in, in whatever situation they're at uh, when it comes to this topic. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's where you can find us. Um, and uh, my LinkedIn is, is linkedin.com forward slash Bob Armbrister. Uh, and I'm sure it'll all be in the, in the show notes. You bet it will, Bob. We'll make sure that it gets on that. Go yeah, answer your, yeah, your question about how we, how we help firms with this. So we, we take the approach, um, and it's basically a, a Silicon Valley approach from you know, decades ago, that basically user-centered design, right? And, and understanding the user. So a lot of times in construction, uh, decisions will be made in maybe the boardroom and then try to just push out to the field. And when we engage with a construction firm that wants to do digital transformation, or maybe we want to build a custom tool for them or help them with the process, uh, we will only do the project if they do it the way that we suggest, which is getting the end user involved at the beginning. Uh, this is where most firms fail is because they go out and they try to, you know, the executive team finds an easy button. We call it easy button is some software platform that says they're going to do everything. <laughs> they start there and then they bring that to the field team and they say, Hey, here we go. You know, help us, help us deploy this. And we kind of flip that around and we say, okay, before we decide on the approach, let's meet with your team and understand, um, you know, understanding the business needs from a one, three, five year standpoint, what's this business doing? Are you doubling in size every year? Or are you going to stay the same? Are you trying to get more efficient? What does the business want to do? That's why business is in our name. Spark Business Works. It's important to us. So we want to understand the business. Then you can take that to the field employees and say, hey, here, you know, what what, what do you need? And, and here's what the business is trying to do. What are the problems you're having um, related to whatever thing we're trying to do? And then getting them involved in the solution. So now you're collaborating, you're figuring out the solution. And then you decide, is that easy button, that software, is that still the solution? Or do we have to look at something else? Um, and then getting those, those individual stakeholders involved early on. Uh, we even want those troublesome users, you know, the people that if they walk by a computer, it like gets all blurry, you know, and staticky, like everything breaks for those people. Those are usually people avoid those individuals in the company because they know they're going to poke holes in whatever solution and they're going to tell you all the ways it's not going to work. We embrace those individuals with open arms, bring them in, um, get them involved in the solution. So when it gets rolled out, they're a champion. So there's tactics like that. I mean, it's fundamental. This stuff's not rocket science. Um, it's, it's getting the, the intended users that are going to be successful in using this thing. Um, whatever it is, whatever process or thing you're doing, getting them involved in the solution. We were talking about how, you know, a lot of companies don't approach that the right way. 
And your approach, like you said, it's tried and true. It's tried and true, but so many companies don't know and so many people don't know how to use that approach. Like even in the in the everyday construction, like people listening to the show, take the lessons, you know, from how Bob's approaching this change, even just for a solution, something to make your life easier. There's still going to be resistance uh, Definitely. from the company, not, not even just among the exact, the very same executives that bring you in, Bob, sometimes among them, there could be resistors as well when they're trying to get that easy button. And there's nothing wrong with that. Those perspectives are golden as Bob says, and he, he looks for those and wants to encourage those people to speak up and participate so that you have a more robust solution and a, a, a smoother implementation. If you don't address yeah. people's concerns when you're implementing a change, and this is true for any type of change, anything, right? Anything, you're going to have uh, problems or no adoption. I can't yeah. tell you. We're probably, I mean, there's probably like, I don't even know what a good analogy is probably ocean full of things that didn't launch well or launched and then never got used. Right. Well, this, this is the big, you know, the misconception about construction is that this industry is a bunch, you know, it's made up of laggard technology adoption people. That was the misconception I had when I got into the industry that I know the rest of the world has until I got in here and realized, Oh no, these people, these companies want to change they've had so much pain of failure in the past that now most of them have just said, geez, remember, you know, they, so it's not that they didn't want to, you know, the pain of, of failing. I mean, I've seen it, right. Hey, last time we tried to do this, I had my 300 team members. We all lost a day of work. It cost us how much money because this system didn't roll out or this thing didn't work. And so that pain has kept some companies from just saying, all right, we're not changing. We're just keep keeping it. Um, and really comes down to adoption. And so uh, the core reason why those failures happen is adoption. Uh, something doesn't get used. It doesn't work the right way. Uh, so addressing that before you come up with a solution, I think is the key. So adoption is it. That's the thing. That's the risk. You address that first. Um, your odds of success will go way up. Yeah, I love that. And speaking of that uh, success and failure, it's a good uh, back and forth paradigm. Uh, we already talked about, Bob, you mentioned that in your the keynote, you were talking to an audience that you know times for construction right now are good. Um, there's the the economy is good right now, but uh, the economy is cyclical, and there are upturns and downturns. And so, Bob, I want to ask you about you know business leaders, you know thinking forward, thinking for the future, when the next time we're in the cycle in the low part, what what are some things they can do to bounce back during economic downturns? from your perspective? Yeah. So, you know, right now it's kind of interesting. So, you know, I've built technology in, in both the ups and downturns. And so, you know, what we see right now is firms wanting to get more efficient um, and, you know, how do we grow faster? And those same types of projects around efficiency and stuff, you know, unfortunately it happens on the downside too. We need to get more efficient. Hey, I need, you know, we just cut staff or we need to now do more with less. So it's kind of like you're building the same type of tool. I mean, you're getting lean, right? You're, 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 you're working on ways to get more efficient and there's plenty of it in this industry. Um, and so it's almost, you know, they're very similar approaches regardless of the economic times. I think the, the biggest hindrance is probably the culture of the organization. And if you built a culture that is uh, embraces 
the small innovative changes. So, um, you know, that's what really we see the difference in, in firms after we've worked with them for several years is the difference between their culture and their ability to change and adapt. You know, you get a firm on continuous improvement that's, that's making changes every few months and they're picking out a process and they're improving it. Um, they're, I believe those firms are the ones best positioned um, for the next downturn because they're going to be much easier and quicker. Um, it'll be less, um, less of a lift for them to change in, in the environment. Yeah, you can say they got that uh, that muscle for easier, better, and faster already getting flexed and used on the daily. Right. A, a follow-up question to that is: uh, you've been you've been in the space as a spin-out from a construction company. About how many companies, just for scale, have you partnered with or worked with so far? It's a great question. We have about 130 active uh, clients right now. So I'd say, yeah, we've probably done, and we've you know we've scaled. And we've given software away uh, during COVID QR code safety forms to, to hundreds. Um, we were actually on thousands of job sites with that. So, yeah, I mean, we've we've probably touched hundreds of construction firms um, when it comes to some of the tools we've deployed. Uh, we've probably done 50 uh, different construction um, digital transformation uh, projects that we really partner and put a team on on a on a company and. Awesome, Bob. Thank you for sharing that. Now I've got a you, you scratching my context itch. I like to know the context, size, and, and scope, and a little bit of backstory. That's great. Uh, just a, one more nerdy question. Uh, yeah. Do you program? Okay. So yeah, I mean, I. All right. So I don't think my team will let me get near a uh, a, a computer to to program on anything. I do. I do. Every once in a while, we'll, we'll write some queries and, and uh, keep that keep that muscle uh, alive and, and working well. So, uh, yeah, most, you know, you realize, too, you know, uh, some of our newer teammates, you know, they just think I'm the I'm the old guy that, that doesn't know any of the technology. But it's like, hey, hey, fellas, uh, you know, I can still I can still do it if, if I need to. I could probably figure it out. How about you? You said you still program a little. Oh, yeah, I still do. Uh, HTML is probably the most common uh, code that I use, but I even done a little bit of like, uh, C++, some shell scripting, but nothing, none of that in recent years. Again, you know, I have good people around me too, Bob. They're like, you stay away from that type. Yeah. Of right. Don't touch that. Yeah. Your skill is behind that microphone and camera. So that's where you stay. Yeah. But, uh, how about, uh, in the home? Like, do you do any automation in the house? Do you have like the, does your house greet you when you walk in the front door or do you have a family for that, Bob? So I'm like the, I'm like the exact opposite. Like at, when I'm at home, I'm like, I don't want anything. Like I, you know, like we, we deal with so much technology during the day. Um, so I'm, I'm like, no, I don't, I don't have any of the automation stuff. You know, um, I try to keep it simple. Um, wireless is probably my biggest thing. I get Sonos. Uh, I'm a big Sonos guy. So uh, other than that, I don't, I have all my, you know, my Google, Wi-Fi access points all have their microphone turned off and nothing's connected. Uh, let's try to keep, keep it simple. Just play some good music and you jam out. That's good. That's it. Right. You know, do that and, and sit outside and, and try to stay away from technology. Keep the phone away, put away is kind of the goal, but uh, it's yeah. funny how you mentioned that. Cause we had a guest on a good friend of mine, Todd Henderson, who's an architect by training and, and by work, he actually still works as an architect and he's been on the show in the past season and uh, he's got 
like little raspberry pies all over the house doing different type, types of things. And he even built a sous vide machine to, to cook meat. Like, nice. like automatically, it's like just from scratch. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I, I, so I have four boys, I have four young uh, boys. And so when I get home, it's like, it's time to play some basketball or, you know, break something or be loud and stuff. So, yeah, so it's, I don't, I don't have time. Maybe, maybe one day well, when they get a little older, we'll be able to, to do some group programming, but uh, that'll be my, my, some interns, some programming interns, if they're ever interested, get them to work soon. There you go. That's awesome. So I want to ask you, I'll go back to the, to talking about laggards in the industry, because you're right, Bob, so many of us in construction have that stereotype and, and some, some executives, some leaders in some companies wear that like a badge of honor, how they're so staunchly opposed to change. So can you elaborate more on when it comes to digital tools, you know, what are some easy things that companies can do to change that and not have that uh, hurt them? And then maybe they don't know it's hurting them. You know, you, you typically see right now in this industry is you, you have this aging group of, of leaders and you have these, you know, younger up, up and comers. Um, sometimes, you know, I, and I, there's a good percentage of firms that have a, an aging entrepreneur and a younger family member, um, you know, son or daughter taking it over. Um, and so you see this, you see it really clearly in those types of companies where it's like, oh, I got to check with dad or, you know, those types of leaders. Hey, I really want to do this, but man, I got to check with, you know, my mom or my dad, whoever's leading the company or typically founded it. Um, you know, so you've got that dynamic and you can see it in those multi-generational businesses. But I think that's also happening in the industry at a wider stance as well as you've got these younger people, um, Gen Z or millennials that expect things to be on their phone. Right. And, and that's just their expectation. Um, they haven't lived a, a life without all of that stuff. Right. And so you've, you've got this need pushing up against, you know, the group that's retiring and so it's just, it's very interesting to see the firms um, that are getting it right. And you got leaders that maybe don't understand the technology, but they've got a few people in, in house that they trust really well. Um, you know, I think the advice I give to those firms is just do small rollouts, right? Find a small group of your team. Find a, you know, in, like you said, building that muscle is way more important than hitting a home run grand slam with some massive change prove the concept, right? So we have a lot of firms that will give us a 12 month ROI window. So they'll say, look, Spark, we're trying to do, you know, we want, we're trying to improve this process. Um, the tools we've tried don't work. We want you to build us something. You got to build it on, in a price that's going to give us an ROI in this calendar year. And so there's, and that happens, right? There's firms that will, will do that and one thing after another, they're just slowly implementing these positive ROI projects. Um, and I think too many firms don't take the time to realize what the ROI is. Um, so if you maybe if you have a, an older or maybe a, someone that doesn't want to embrace digital transformation, if that generation that does, if you guys can, if, if those individuals can map out the ROI for that leader, and then circle back and prove it and really make that person that might not understand what you're doing from a technical perspective. If you can show them, show it to them in results with an ROI focus, we've seen they can break through that barrier. 
that was a long-winded response. <laughs> no, 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 that's a great response. And I think, you know, for some of the people listening, we've got a lot of younger people on the show that might not be so economic savvy, but what Bob is talking about is having a return on investment. So when you invest, acronym. no, it's all good, Bob. It's all, right. that's my return job. On investment. I got, I got it. That's I got, I got, that's one of my duties as the host, but uh, the return on investment, when Bob's talking about it, these companies, you essentially are creating like a money machine. So you're going to spend, you know, say you're going to spend a dollar uh, with Bob and his team at Spark Business Works. And then these companies are saying, this dollar I spend has to pay back interest this year. So it means you have to make back your investment. So within the next 12 months, we make a dollar back, plus a, we realize additional savings. And that's right. when I say that ROI, return on investment, is like having a money machine. I put in a dollar in January, and by January of next year, maybe I have $2. Maybe I doubled my money. Or maybe I have yeah. a twenty cents. Maybe I made a net twenty cents. That's that's profit. That's like having a money machine. That's what return on investment is. That's the way I like to think about it. And yeah, and in construction is one of the industries where the numbers are really large. <laughs> it's not like you're working. You know, it's not like we're solving problems for, you know, say a a, a small you know service based company, right? So we've had clients say, hey. We've booked, you know, we had a union uh, grievance because we we put the wrong person on the wrong job. We scheduled the wrong person, and this this problem costs us sixty thousand dollars. Well, can we can we create a, a system or a solution that'll make sure they never do that again? That's worth sixty grand. Boom. I mean, or you know, hey, we lose, you know, three knack boxes a year, or we lose three, you know, this. And you find ways like, okay, how can we make sure that they don't lose another piece of equipment that's worth X amount? How do we track these? I mean, so the numbers are big, or I've got 500 people and we can save them an hour a week. I mean, some of this stuff's back in the napkin. That's um, that's millions of dollars, people, for, you know, what the, what salary is. And, you know, a lot of people, that's very innovative in and of itself. Uh, thinking about your team that's salary or hourly as a fixed cost, I've got news for you people. It's not fixed cost. It might be hitting your accounting ledger line at the same number every month, but what you're getting in terms of productivity or mm -hmm. undue burden on your people and staff, that's worth something. It's worth something to your people. If you can make their life easier, then their work gets better. And hence the name of the show, easier, better, faster. Then the work gets faster. And the side effect of that is that uh, you'll be more profitable or you can do more of the good work that you'd like to do. It's not always just about dollars and cents. So I right. love that, Bob. That was not a and long answer. Employer retention, employer retention. We've had, you know, we've seen companies where people have come in there, they've called us, like say, you know, we had a controller call us, uh, built a relationship with a controller at a, at a large mechanical firm going, oh, I need you guys to come in here. I need you to help us with this, this and that. And then the executive team keeps beating down on this person, not letting them, you know, he sees it. He sees the opportunity. So what happened three months go by guy left, you know, we see it, you know, I've seen other uh, people that join firms and then they go, Oh my gosh, it was all on paper. I can't stand this. They're so unorganized. So they left. Um, there's more and more of that going on um, in construction when they can go, down the street to a firm that's going to embrace them with open arms 
say, help us. We want someone like this that's innovative, wants to help us improve um, versus just doing things the old fashioned way. Yeah, there's a cost to that, too. On average, I've talked to many people that are in the recruitment specifically for construction companies, and we see the same type of numbers in other industries like manufacturing and retail and even healthcare and, and even education. But it, it costs about two and a half times that person's salary to find a new person, replace them, train them, get them onboarded. And then it's about two years until they become as productive as the person that left. So you're going to pay two and a half times their salary. Plus, you're not going to get the same level of output for two years. That is a big cost. So, you know, speaking all that, all that negativity, Bob, let me change. Let me change gears. Yeah, let's, all right, let's get positive. Here. What uh, I want to ask you, what does continuous improvement mean to you, Bob? And why is it important for you? Yeah, I mean, continuous improvement, I think. Um, you know, we do it at our company uh, and we help companies with it. And it means to me that you're, you're constantly um, looking for ways to become better, more efficient, uh, but, but driving business results. And I think the, the balancing act, and I've, I've done this before too, is, is not having too many things going on at once. So the proper continuous improvement is the controlled, that's not rushed. Um, but it's not overwhelming um, and getting the team focused on one, one or two things. Um, and that's, I mean, I think the importance is, you know, we've all worked at, at or, or most people have worked at organizations that never change. And those individuals typically complain about those places, right? I know I have when I've worked at places that, that never changed. And then you, on the other side, if you don't do continuous improvement the right way, you have people complaining because it's changing too fast. And so continuous improvement is that finding the way to do it right is that middle zone um, of getting everyone on board, um, the rowing the boat in the same direction. And I think getting it right is, is exciting. Awesome. Thank you, Bob. It's that, that uh, I wouldn't expect nothing less than a Goldilocks answer from somebody from Michigan. So appreciate that. <laughs> Having grown up in the Midwest, I know my nursery rhymes well. I, I want to ask you too, Bob, what do you recommend? You're telling me a story when we were getting started about uh, this keynote technology talk you were, and it got me thinking about, you know, people that hear the phrase digital transformation and it's like terrifying to them or scary or frustrating or stressful, what, uh, what do you recommend for those people listening that have had bad experiences with digital transformation? I think they need to look at the approach. Uh, you know, like I said, you know, the biggest, understanding the biggest risks, most of the time it's adoption, understanding why adoption doesn't happen. Um, and then in, in, in typically it's the people and them having a, a vested interest in the solution. Um, so, you know, thinking about that, just taking a step back and understanding why things haven't worked in the past, uh, and maybe at that firm or, or in their, their previous uh, roles, and then taking the different approach and starting with the end users. And typically it's a slower process. And so I think that a lot of times can frustrate that those types of individuals, but going in there with a fresh mindset now in this, in this industry at this time solutions and technology is, is the least expensive it's ever been. It's easier than ever. Um, the workforce has changed tremendously, right? The makeup of technology um, 
people who are comfortable with technology is drastically different than just a few years ago. Um, so I think, you know, forget about the past, focus <laughs> on the future. Um, and then, you know, getting some qualified people um, involved is key. And then don't feel like you're, you can ask a dumb question. If, if the team cannot, if the technical side of that team can't explain things to you or document it in a way that makes sense, keep asking questions and make them get it simpler. I think that's typically where people are just like, yeah, I don't understand, but yeah, let's just keep going. Like that's just, if you're starting to do that, you're going to veer off track. Um, so I think just being comfortable and not, and, and taking that approach, I think is key. No, that's a great answer, Bob. It's a good reminder to people to get clear on what you're doing is critical because when there's ambiguity and what you're going to do, you don't know where you're going and you're just going to, you are going to wander off in the wrong direction or just waste time. Like go ahead and pause. Yeah. If you're in a meeting or you're in a conversation with somebody pause and get clear on, on what it is until you understand. No, I always tell people all the time, Bob, like I have the monopoly on the stupid questions. Okay. So everyone else, everyone else asking questions. Yep. Awesome. So I want to go back to the keynote, Bob, we were talking about that. What was, uh, what can you share from your keynote experience at this construction conference that you're at? You can name it if you want to. Yeah, sure. I mean, so remember I was like a developer. I'm a, I'm a technology introvert, right? (laughs) Um, Like this right here, I'm going to leave this call. I'm be like, man, I'm tired. You know, this, this takes a lot. Right. So, you know, to have to get up in in front of uh, 400 people, I think it was 400 uh, that, that was a big deal for a technology, uh, you know, geek. Um, but I, I was telling the story, you know, first of all, I, the, what was funny was I, this is the construction association of Michigan, their annual conference. Um, and they've been, they've been a great partner and, and we've been talking about digital transformation there for years. And so three years ago, I spoke about the same topic at the same event. And I was in a back room and there was like six people in the room. <laughs> and I'm and I'm talking about the same stuff. So what I tried to say to the crowd was like, look, guys and, and ladies and gentlemen, if if you're not uh, convinced that now is the time of technology adoption and construction, you have a technology person giving the keynote at a construction conference. Like this is now is the time. I was here, you know, three years ago. There were six people. Now there's you know a hundred times that uh, listening. So trying to paint the picture of look, guys, it, it's it's time. And I, I painted the story of we of two firms that were competing for for a project, and uh, one that has been on an eighteen month positive ROI digital transformation journey, totally underbid the other firm that was digging their heels in using their existing processes that got them here. And it was a very large project. Um, it's it's gonna it's a big project for the the community that they're both in, and they were completely off track on price to the point where the firm that that lost said to me that the firm that won was going to lose money and didn't understand why they would bid it so low in this kind of market. And the firm that won was a customer of ours and has been on this 18-month digital transformation. And they said they're going to make a killing on this project. And they're super excited about it. And you know, so I painted the, the, the picture of this true story of firms in the same region of the Midwest, same resources, same size, um, being that far apart and not realizing it. Um, and that, you know, firms have the choice of, you know, using this wave of momentum in the industry, the firm that won that bid has been investing in positive ROI, digital transformation improvements, 
they're using the momentum of this market to pay for that. And most industries don't have the luxury of having to transform themselves during a boom of economic period. Most industries have to change after a massive inflection point and then typically in a downturn. Uh, and so that was my, you know, that was my thing. Like, look, I'm seeing it. We're, we're on, we're in the job site, you know, we're in the trailers and we're in the boardrooms. We see what's going on in the firms that are doing it right. Um, but, you know, optimistically right now it's less expensive than ever and it's easier to do it than it's ever been. So it's a, it's a great opportunity for anyone in the industry and we're excited to, to help firms do it and, uh, and talk to people like you that are, are spreading the word as well. So, yeah, thank you so much, Bob. And Bob, thank you for spending a snowy, cold morning in Michigan with this hot California sun boy over here. Right. <laughs> really you know, it's bad when I have layers on and I'm in, inside today. So it has been my absolute pleasure having you on the show sharing these great stories about continuous improvement and different entry points in for change done better. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, we are super passionate about, you know, the future of the industry being a technology savvy industry, uh, attracting technology savvy individuals that they don't realize how, how much technology is being used today. And it's one of our, our missions to, to continue to help the firms uh, that are in this spot, help them get more efficient, improve improve their businesses and make them more profitable. Um, and yeah, we're super excited about it. Check us out, sparkbusinessworks.com. We have a ton of free tools and resources to help anybody get started on their own and uh, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for having me.